Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. On a previous program, I highlighted the case of the disappearance, the mysterious, deeply mysterious disappearance of Molly Cecilia Tibbetts, who was kidnapped from her hometown of Brooklyn, Iowa, while she was out jogging on Wednesday night, July 18th. One story that I read about it, even though it referenced Wednesday night, it showed that being July 16th. An instance of the media really getting it right, you know, being so accurate. But her boyfriend, Dalton Jack, whom she was dog-sitting for at his house, I know he made a statement that he expected, he hoped and expected that she would be located you know, soon, safe and sound, so forth. Well, and that's not a quote. (laughs) That is a paraphrase. But as I said at that time, chances at the time that this hit the the news wires, first stories that I saw about it were on July 24th. This occurred on July 18th, the night of. Chances were that if she was still alive, that she was in gravest danger, to put it mildly. And anyway, that we should all pray for her safe return, not just expect her to safely return, hope that she would safely return. It's too bad. I don't know what kind of doggies, dog or doggies uh, Dalton Jack has, but it's It's too bad if she was going to go out jogging that she didn't take the doggies along. This darling young woman, 5'2", approximately 120 pounds, in this rural, rural, rural setting, and it was mentioned time and again, this was such a mystery. Nobody could comprehend what could have happened. And that it's in such a rural farming area. And as I mentioned, well, I couldn't help but uh, want to see where was this actually located. And it was exactly, precisely adjacent to major interstate freeway, Interstate 80, in addition to being very near Interstates 35, 380, and 74. Oh, but it was so rural, community of 1,500 people. Well, lo and behold, there was a possible sighting of her on July 26th. Where would this have possibly been? A local truck stop. It says local. I'm going to say regional. But near the intersection of Interstate 35, which I referenced in the previous program that I did on this, and Highway 92. One person saw her, took images. Images were shown on the Internet. Viewers sent in screenshots of a Facebook post of a possible sighting that said Tibbetts, might have been drugged, looked disoriented, and was with a truck driver. Now, why nobody intervened instead of just taking footage and posting it online? I don't know. But that is the kind of a nation in which we live. If we go back 60 years ago, whenever it was this terrible incident that took place in Chicago, so many moons ago, where a woman was drugged down an alley and raped and murdered while her neighbors listened to her screaming for help for ages, and nobody could even see fit to call the police, much less to 
open a window, scream out the window, run downstairs, take the elevator downstairs, go outside, try to intervene. No, nobody could do anything like that because they didn't want to get involved because they were afraid to get involved and too complacent and so on and so forth. But still, I know these things can creep up on you. I know that things, the society in which we live now, being as different as it is from 60 years ago, things can be very dicey, can get very dicey very quickly. And I know I have been put off from intervening in an incident or two because of the reaction of people about, oh, here's some strange man intervening in some situation. He doesn't know exactly what the situation is. And lo and behold, they end up blaming him, being suspicious of him and blaming him and so on and so forth. And I've actually had that happen (laughs) where I've been cornered by police and so on and so forth. And so I know it can be very touchy to try to intervene. But I remember an incident many years ago. I will say, I just don't know, a couple decades ago, something like that. When I was stopped at one of these truck stops for gas to use a bathroom, and going across the country, and I was at a cashier's line, and there was a fellow, and there was a girl, and she looked very young to me, like a young teenager. And he, meanwhile, didn't, didn't look to be father age. And I, after that, and I didn't say anything about it, but I just, I wondered what's going on here. She didn't give any kind of indication of anything or whatever, but still, I ran it over in my mind many times immediately thereafter, and it, it, you know, it dawned on me what I needed to say. I needed to come up to her and say, do your parents know where you are? Something as simple as that. Now, in the case of Molly Tibbetts, we're talking about not a young teenage girl, though she's only five foot two, but a 20-year-old young woman, spunky young woman. But, so the wording, that wouldn't be the appropriate wording. Do your parents know where you are? That might not be the best wording, but it would still work, wouldn't it? But we have to get involved. And as I said at the time, at the time I did this program, As long as it's limited to the local police, no knock on the local police. There are outstanding police out there and sheriffs out there and sheriff's deputies. And then there are a boatload of incompetent ones. And then there are cowards. And then there are murderers and destroyers in sheep's clothing. And and then the list goes on. But every single solitary time that there's a kidnapping... Like this, as far as I'm concerned, the FBI needs to be on it immediately because the chances of survival fall precipitously with a very brief passage of time. And that's not to usurp authority from local authorities, but to say that in so very many cases like this, they are immediately whisked away, transported away some distance away many times crossing state lines. As I mentioned when I happened to discuss this previously, that here they are right off of I-80, I-35, I-74, and 380, and the chances of her having been taken across state lines before this ever hit the news was extremely, extremely high. The chances of that happening before Dalton Jack even knew about it the next afternoon was extremely high. Probably in the wee hours of Wednesday night, Thursday morning, she was in another state. And it's less than five hours from Chicago. And, but of course... If, if and or when the FBI ever gets involved, it will be 
way late, to put it mildly. What should be happening right now, belatedly, you know, it's, that happened on the 18th. Uh, when I am um, sharing this is on the 2nd of August. So this is extremely, extremely, extremely belated. But at a very bare, bare, bare minimum, her ID information should be blanketing every truck stop in America. And what's more, every truck stop that is anything other than a mom and pop, the managers should be discussing this with all of their staff. If you see any young woman that remotely fits this description, you have to take a good long look at her to see, is she coherent? Is she with it? Does she know what's going on? And say something to her. Say something to her. Approach her and say something to her. That won't happen. Not in the United States of America. Not with President Trump at the helm. Okay, These just aren't the kinds of things, the kind of big, bold moves that he's going to make. Instead, he will just, you know, <laughs> rip the, the leftist political leaders up one side and down the other while he kisses up to and licks the boots of the totalitarian dictators and while he then gives the same kind of abuse, verbal abuse to the Koch brothers that he gave to the Republican presidential candidates and so on and so forth. I mean, this is who the man is. This is the way he, <laughs> the way he rolls, right? But, and not to blame him, to, to uh, select him from the others, to cut him out from the others, or call him out from the others. No president has ever lifted a little finger about this. The FBI has lifted a little finger about this. The FBI is vastly more concerned about all manner of other things. It has never, ever, ever, ever been made a national priority to rescue girls and young women that are kidnapped. That's never been a priority. I remember long ago back in Portland, Oregon, dear old Portland, Oregon, and I say I remember, and I remember fuzzily at this point in time, but the mayor of Portland, Oregon, he came out with some great initiative, and it was to the effect that Portland, the Portland police were going to go after Johns. No offense intended towards anybody with the name John. All right, please. But customers of prostitutes. He's going to go after them, throw the book at them, so on and so forth. But meanwhile, they had a hands-off approach for pimps. Okay, the kidnapper, rapist, Traffickers, prostitutors, they could operate with impunity. (laughs) The girls who were kidnapped and enslaved in so-called white slavery, they'd go after them. But the new initiative was focusing on the customers. Outstanding. Just outstanding. (laughs) I That's that's the brave new world, the United States of America. Now, mind you, that goes back 30 years ago or whatever when I heard that. But it stuck with me. <laughs> this matter of, you know, we're going to give a pass to these prostitutors, these enslavers, these destroyers who do all kinds of clever, creative things like branding the girls that they've gotten a hold of. Via tattoos and via actual branding. But they use tattoos as ownership markers. They defile them. They torture them. And 
they finally dispense with them when they are some poor, disease-ridden, drug-addicted girl whom they have gotten addicted to drugs and so on and so forth. But United States of America and the police across America, it's never been a priority to do something about that. Okay, It's just not. That's one problem I have. Uh, it's, it's the whole kit and caboodle of problems I have with libertarianism. No offense uh, to the Koch brothers, who apparently uh, have some affinity for libertarian values. But uh, I'll get to that in a moment or two. But before I do, let me mention this. There was a beautiful young woman who, with her sister, Uh, was taking mass transit out in Oakland, California. And as they stepped off the train, the Bay Area Rapid Transit BART uh, train at the BART station, a man with a knife attacked them, murdered Nia, 18 years young, stabbed her sister, Latifa Wilson, who was 26, who was taken to a hospital and later released. (sighs) These people who imagine that eliminating guns is going to eliminate monstrous, heinous, vicious, ruthless, sadistic, crime, they are either kidding themselves, deluding themselves, or they know better. But it's part of their agenda. Even as it was a cornerstone of the agenda of Joseph Stalin, of Adolf Hitler, of Mao Zedong, and of all like them that have ever existed, is to disarm those whom they will prey upon, not just those whom they view as possible competition or threats, but to disarm, make helpless, render helpless those whom they will prey upon. The same ideas with a home invasion binding the would-be victims before murdering them. Same thing. Disarm them, bind them, and so forth. This precious young woman, Nia Wilson, the youngest of six sisters and two brothers, her life cut down by a destroyer. That being said, Her style in music is rap. You know, music to do violence by, to rape and murder by, as I have described it, except without calling it music. Noise to commit such things by. Beats by which to commit such things by. And her rap videos are on YouTube. But this young woman is gone beautiful young woman. I mentioned in a previous program about these absolutely sadistic, murderous, rapacious threats that are being made against various politicians, Republicans, (laughs) surprisingly enough. This one, Jason Lewis, who is a Minnesota congressman and a a former talk show host. His daughters were the targets of so many of these messages. But others, Lee Zeldin, Republican New York, New York congressman. Again, 
vicious, rapacious, murderous threats against his daughters. And these threats have gone up, up, up. Since 2016, they more than doubled in the next year. Threats against congressmen. And I mentioned with regard to this one fellow that was finally arrested after having only made or having been at last tally, it was counted up as far as how many threats he had made. And it was something like 400, ah, 478. I was going to say 438, but 478 times he called the congressman's office. That is of Congressman Brian Mast of Florida. And again, all of these Republicans. Why do you wait until he has threatened the congressman's life and family 478 times before you act? And then what do you do? You slap him on the wrist and tell him not to bother him anymore? (laughs) Oh, that'll work. That'll work. Again, previously I mentioned about the latest with regard to the Second Amendment, this ruling from the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals out of San Francisco Bay Area, in which they upheld the constitutionality of open carry, which was very surprising to me because they denied the right to concealed carry back in 2016 in the case of Peruta versus County of San Diego. Now, in that case, the original finding, which was by a panel of three judges, was two to one in favor of Peruta, in favor of concealed carry, stating that California's good cause statement, as they call it, was an unconstitutional infringement of the constitutional right to keep and bear arms. But the leftists, the remaining leftists on the court, were so (laughs) upset about that, they insisted on an in-bank hearing at which the entire appellate court would rule And they ruled the other way. That was back in 2016. So I do find it remarkable that at this point in time, they ruled in favor of open carry as compared to concealed carry. And we'll see where this goes, because with regard to the previous decision, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to take it on appeal. So we'll see what happens now. And that was just last year that the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear Peruta versus County of San Diego. I would get into that about the good cause statement, but I have much else to touch on. If I get a chance at the end, I will grace you with a personal story pertaining to that, which I've actually told uh, previously, ages ago. But... Meanwhile, I believe I mentioned about this, these new rules, these new laws uh, that are sweeping the nation to the tune of last I saw, I believe 17 states had signed them into law. And these were laws that permitted law enforcement to confiscate firearms from people whom they deemed to be a threat to society or to themselves. The beauty of these laws is that, and I'm not saying that there's never, you know, a case for removing firearms from somebody. Absolutely there are. From vicious, ruthless rapists, murderers, kidnappers, 
traffickers, and so forth. Absolutely. However, those people typically use guns that were acquired some way other than legally. But so here in Florida, even though the law has a different name and it doesn't have the clever little acronym, it's the same thing. It's the same sense. And more than 450, that's 450, more than 450 people were ordered to relinquish their firearms. They were taken from them. And uh, Florida Governor Rick Scott signed that bill into law following the massacre at Parkland School. So doing good work there, no doubt. Somehow I, I do not trust those who are entrusted with such things. I just don't. I don't trust them to take the weapons from the evil. Instead, I trust them to take them from the good. This is the way it's worked with Child Protective Services. Children taken from good and godly, righteous parents who are bringing up their children to be God-fearing, God-honoring, loving, caring people, and sticking them in the foster care system where they can be preyed upon, raped and exploited and so forth, while the parents are sent off to jail, off to prison for homeschooling their children. Such things have gone on in this United States of America over the past many decades. But especially over the past mm, four decades, I guess. (laughs) I just don't trust government to do right. So in that sense, I agree with libertarians, you know, who usually find affinity with Republicans or at least traditional Republicans, small government Republicans, that small government is less onerous government than big government and so forth. However, libertarianism all too often winds up being libertinism in which wicked people are permitted to do all manner of things with impunity, given license to commit such things, whether it happens to be generating monstrous, vicious, horrible pornography and using kidnapped and raped girls and so forth, committing snuff films, so-called, where such captives are torturously murdered, little, little things like that. And of course, libertarianism, with the exception of the occasional Ron Paul, is totally okay with legalization of induced abortion, not only legalization of it, but then that where they would draw the line is the government getting behind it and being involved in it. But the problem I have with libertarianism is this matter of drawing a line at right and wrong, saying the government shouldn't be involved in making determinations of what's right, shouldn't be making moral judgments. That is so completely, utterly, totally wrong and shamefully wrong. Every government on earth that has ever existed, whether you call it a regime, an empire, a kingdom, a duchy, whatever it is, a democracy, every single one has the right, the responsibility, and the duty to determine what is right and what will be permitted and what won't be permitted, what won't be allowed within the confines of that nation or country or such. These people who imagine that, you know, dream that uh, what's going on, what's been going on now for the past 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, 
and what continues ever more corrosively in terms of not just legalization of prostitution, which has gotten worse and worse and worse, more evil, more violent, more vicious, more sadistic, but also, and more explicit, uh, more perverse, more exceedingly perverse. But the induced abortion nightmare, blight on this nation, in which the only completely innocent members of society are devoid of any right to humanity, devoid of constitutional protections against unreasonable search and seizure and search and destruction missions, which every actual factual induced abortion is. And all of these other things, not mere tolerance of the sodomite so-called lifestyle, but the federal government and state governments and city governments all giving their stamp of approval, their official stamp of approval to the entire sodomite agenda, which has changed. It has morphed outwardly because for decades, the battle cry was marriage is legalized rape. But then they found it convenient, useful to insist on being able to marry. (laughs) No number of rings, no number of wedding cakes, no number of apostate ministers, hireling ministers, no number of marriage licenses can make a male with a male, a married couple, or even a couple, nor female with female, a married couple, or even a couple. Before I go further on that, let me just mention, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right about this program, true, accurate, and so forth, is Thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ, and His Holy Spirit. Whatever's wrong, failing, erring, is due to me. Okay, so. But. In a nation which prides itself now on all manner of evils. It's not only that this nation doesn't hold these evils to be evil and to be loathsome and damnable. It doesn't hold them to be illegal. But wait, we've gone far beyond that. Now we've made these behaviors legal, acceptable, natural, normal, deserving of respect and demanding respect and demanding acceptance. Try applying for work anywhere, anywhere. And see if you are not required to respect, accept, and respect every form of perversion there is. This nation has become an absolute sewer. Are there still good and godly people? Yes. 
Are there still honorable people? Yes. Are there still righteous, caring, self-sacrificing, heroic people? Yes. But the governments are evil. I know that is such a strong way to put it. But it's an understatement. If you saw the Winter Olympics, you were treated (laughs) uh, on TV, on the Internet, to these endless advertisements by uh, this Love Has No Labels organization that is backed by the Southern Poverty Law Center, so-called Southern Poverty Law Center as absolutely extreme leftist socialist as you can get, hardcore, but also backed by that wonderful organization, the American Association of Retired Persons or People, whichever it is, ARP. ARP, which has been a major, major political force in this nation for decade upon decade upon decade upon decade ad nauseum, using its membership dues to create an enormous behemoth political machine, even though so many of those people who are members have no clue about what ARP is doing, and diametrically disagree with the agenda of art. And then P&G, Procter & Gamble. My word. And then Johnson & Johnson. And, of course, the Winter Olympics. But these major American companies, Procter & Gamble, Johnson & Johnson, powerhouse American companies, you know, as all-American as apple pie and so on and so forth, and heavily involved with this. Love has no labels. Perhaps you've seen the little ads on the Internet that show two girls, two little girls holding hands. You don't think anything of it. A couple of little girls' best friends there. But the agenda of love has no labels is promoting the sodomite agenda. It's not some sweet, loving, innocent thing. It is the sodomite agenda to the nth degree, along with interracial, I hesitate to say marriage, because it's interracial sexual relations and so forth, including marriage. And then there's that company Zola, not to be confused with Zola Levitt and some others, Zola.com, online wedding registry company that promotes so-called marriages of sodomites. And then there's a company, Automatic, with a slightly different spelling, and says that, anyway, it champions diversity, and it is not limited to differences in race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. Those are different things. See. We welcome these differences, and we strive to increase the visibility of traditionally underrepresented groups. So they champion this They lionize this. And the list just goes on and on and on. Well, Alaska Airlines, add them to the list. Alaska Airlines, whose jets have this image of this fellow who is perhaps Eskimo, perhaps just a, you know, some poor old white guy who wound up up in northern Alaska, but who's wearing... Uh, the trappings of uh, of an es- of traditional trappings of an Eskimo, and he is he's their logo guy on the tails of their airplanes. Well, 
dear old Alaska Airlines. They are championing the sodomite agenda. But oops, minor little detail. Yes, they had the owner of a sodomite bar in West Hollywood, California, was on a plane with his lover, his partner, and a flight attendant made the egregious mistake of asking if that sodomite bar owner's buddy would exchange seats so that a couple could sit together. What a terrible thing. Oh, my gosh, that's just terrible. Call the ACLU right now. And the bar owner told the attendant that he and his buddy were a couple. No, only in a perverse, degraded, vile, depraved excuse of a nation is that a couple. And yes, they can adopt children thanks to this perverse, corrupt excuse of a nation. If they care to. Ah, but... Alaska Airlines, they reached out to him and they issued a public apology on Twitter. You know, our president's favorite mode of communication, saying that the company would offer to refund the tickets, was deeply sorry for the situation, did not intend to make them feel uncomfortable in any way. And they went on to say, Alaska Airlines received a perfect score from the Human Rights Campaign's Corporate Equality Index, which rates companies on their lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and it just has LGBT, this is the old version, it's now LGBTQ, queer, which is what they all are. They're all sodomite queers. But it rates companies on their treatment of employees of this ilk. And companies gain points for having so-called non-discrimination policies and benefits for them and various other things. Well, the bar owner, the sodomite bar owner, ended the... This by saying, we are discussing making things right. Making things right. You know, this is like a woman's right to choose. Creating, fabricating a right and an absolute right, an unassailable right. to commit vicious, ruthless, torturous murder. That's what, of innocent human beings, babies, pre-born babies, that's what induced abortion is. Well, here, this sodomite bar owner, we are discussing making things right. No, not making things right. Making things wrong in the most extreme way. But, of course, when he's saying making things right... He's discussing ways for Alaska Airlines to pay him off. And Alaska Airlines, being the enlightened company that it is, will do that. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because it's just that kind of a company. Yes. And so there was the statement that, The encounter was not a case of discrimination, characterizing what happened as a seating error and calling itself a zero-tolerance company that does not support discrimination of any kind. Well, discrimination. Hmm. We can't have discrimination. You know what discrimination is, don't you? I mean, it has new meanings now. You discriminate good from evil. You discriminate right from wrong. You discriminate a predator from somebody 
who is safe to be around. You discriminate whether a situation is dangerous to go into. That's really discrimination. That's the real meaning of it. But then we've got this newfangled definition of discrimination in which our behavior is dictated by a vile, corrupt, profane, perverse, anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible government regime. It's not a communist regime. It's not a fascist regime yet. But it is a regime nonetheless. Perhaps you trust in the law enforcement powers. Perhaps you saw the story about the 73-year-old decorated Vietnam War veteran quiet, retired accountant in Aurora, Colorado, whose house was broken into by a nude man that attacked his grandson. He came to save his 11-year-old grandson, and he was unable to get this guy off of him He went and got his 9mm handgun, shot the intruder dead. Then the police show up and they kill this man in his own house. And then there's the question, well, you know, who's to blame? There were multiple relatives there who witnessed the attack. Why didn't they tell the police, stop? His wife had called for the police, but apparently it makes it sound like she didn't give enough information. But how do we know? It could well be just that the information wasn't passed on. But this is the problem I have with the police is this incredible, incredible inequity of behavior, of responses by police. I mean, I can think of cases like, for instance, where where police have shot somebody who is fleeing, not a violent crime or something like that, but fleeing for, they're trying to pull him over and he takes off and they shoot him. And it turns out, hey, no, no violent crime that he's being sought for or anything else, but they shoot him, shoot him down, shoot him in the back, shoot him down. And other such things like that. And you've seen, you've seen accounts of this. And meanwhile, then... This vicious, ruthless murderer in Chinatown who was Chinese and who armed himself with, a, with I don't know how many knives and was slashing and stabbing multiple people to death. It was a mass murder situation. And the police, instead of shooting him, they arrested him. Un, unharmed, didn't harm him, arrested him. Then there was the case in middle America at a factory that the president or owner or whatever there was a retired sheriff. And uh, a disgruntled employee came back, and he was either black or Arabic, can't remember which, I think black, but anyway, came back armed with knives, whatever, beheaded one woman, one white woman, and attacked another one, attempted to behead her, And the uh, former sheriff, you know, performed a citizen's arrest. Didn't shoot him. (laughs) But then we have these cases where police officers, sheriffs, sheriff's deputies, they just shoot (laughs) at the first light, at the first opportunity. Uh, It's just amazing and horrible. And it has to do with any number of things, such as horribly bad, inequitable training, (laughs) uneven training, and so forth. But here, perhaps you saw this about this young woman police officer down in Florida, Miami, I think, but won't swear to it. But anyway, her name was uh, Amber Pacheco. 
Amber Pacheco in her first year, finishing up her first year as a police officer. This young woman, she's out on the town, yes, in Miami, in Miami Beach with her sister. And apparently she and her sister had been boozing. Anyway, they met, they passed a couple, a young couple, the woman of which was eight and two-thirds months pregnant. She had nine days to go before giving birth. An off-duty police officer, Amber Pacheco, and her sister start a fight with them. She savagely beats this woman, kicks her in the stomach, The woman is rushed to a hospital, and the baby boy is delivered after seven minutes of labor. And what did Ms. Ambar Pacheco say when she was booked? Well, before I get to that, let me give you this quote from the city of North Miami Beach. Due to Ms. Ambar Pacheco's recent off-duty actions, Her employment with the city of North Miami Beach has been terminated, effective immediately, end quote. Here's what Ms. Pacheco said. She said that not the woman who was pregnant, but the man who was with her accosted her sister, supposedly. And so she saw red and she beat the blank out of the pregnant woman. She boasted of that, of beating, viciously beating this woman who was eight and two-thirds months pregnant. Great uh, human resources job there being done by North Miami Beach Police. Perhaps you saw the video of a paddle border just immediately offshore of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, swimming with the shark, so to speak, with great white shark just beneath him, adjacent to him. Well, there are sharks, predators, destroyers amongst us. In every part of this nation, there is no place safe from them. And unfortunately, you cannot rely on police to protect you. It's imperative that citizens be able to protect themselves. And so it's imperative that our courts not prevent them doing so. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.